sometimes it rains and it's from heaven don't you know each cloud contains banners from heaven you'll find your fortune falling all over town like a Christmas tree. Hey, Merry Christmas, everyone, and welcome to Hope. Man, what a great Christmas Eve uh, it has been so far. If we had known it was going to be this warm outside, we would have told you, bring your lawn chairs, we'll just do an outdoor service, and then we'd have room for everyone, but we're glad that you're here wherever uh, you might be sitting right now. I don't know what it is that kind of pops into your mind. What's one of the first images that you think of when you think of the idea of Christmas joy? Uh, but for me, Buddy the Elf is pretty close. He, he's right up there. He's walking through the streets of New York City, having one new experience after another. And with each new experience, you can just see his joy bucket getting a little more full, which is hard to do for Buddy the Elf because his joy bucket is overflowing most of the time. As we get started in a Christmas Eve message, that's really the question I have for you. How full is your joy bucket? Because far too many people are walking around with joy buckets that are pretty empty. As I was thinking about Christmas Eve this year, I came across a book I found pretty fascinating. It's a book called America the Anxious. Uh, the author is a woman named Ruth Whitman. Uh, she is British, and so she and her husband, her husband has a job in high tech, and he got offered a job uh, at a high tech startup in California, Silicon Valley. So they moved their young family from London to California. Uh, she left her job. She was making documentary films, and she was going to uh, look forward to just uh, being a stay-at-home mom for a while with her young kids. 
It did not take very long, however, before she started to feel displaced, disconnected, very lonely in America, and she started looking for anything and anyone that might bring some sense of connection into her life. She started going up to random strangers at the playground or at the dry cleaner or standing in line with them at the grocery store, just striking up conversations with them, looking for some kind of connection. And what she found was kind of interesting. Almost all of these conversations with random strangers would end up on the topic of happiness. And she even said most of the conversations would fall into one of two categories. Some were the evangelistic kind. When you start talking about happiness, there are certain people, they're like evangelists for happiness. They have all the answers. They have all the secrets, all the keys. Here's what's going to open the door to happiness for you. This is what worked for me, so you might want to write this down. Yoga and meditation, some people told her that's the key to happiness. Others said it's a gratitude journal. Spend 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day thinking about everything you're grateful for, writing it down in your joy bucket will just get more and more full all the time. Still others said, no, the key to filling up your joy bucket is Tony Robbins. You got to get to one of his weekend seminars, have him fill up that joy bucket and teach you to unleash the power within. Other people said to Ruth Whitman, listen, you are a young mom and here's the key, the secret to happiness for young moms. You need to get one of these contraptions that allows you to stay attached to your child. And they would say, you need to do it for at least 22 out of 24 hours if you want to be happy. Ah. But perhaps most baffling of all, some people said the key, the secret uh, that will unlock the door to happiness is drinking wolf colostrum. Doesn't make any sense to me. We'll just move right along. So uh, we live in a part of the world where this culture that we've been raised in, we have certain self-evident truths unalienable rights, like the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And this pursuit of happiness or contentment or well-being or joy, all of these words that kind of go in that, that direction, this pursuit seems to be growing year after year after year. The most popular class in the 300-year history of Yale University is being offered these days. It's a class on happiness. One quarter of the student body at Yale University, they sign up and they take this class every year. They had to move it from like a lecture hall into the largest auditorium on campus to be able to fit all the students who were interested in what's the key to happiness. You can Google Yale happiness course and you can take the class online for free and then you can brag to your friends that you took a class at Yale and that'll probably make you happier, right? How about magazine covers, article after article, here's the key, here's the secret to happiness, businesses, all this money and research and development and marketing of these products that'll make our life better, that'll bring more happiness into our lives. But in this pursuit of happiness, more and more people all the time are finding themselves, I don't know, cynical, skeptical. This pursuit of happiness, and instead of helping us arrive at happiness, for a lot of people, it's not giving answers, it's giving questions, important questions, challenging questions. What do I do when everything is not fine? What do I do when I'm not happy, when my kids are not happy? Because for a lot of people, that's the number one goal in life, the highest priority, happiness. Now, the Harris Poll, year after year, they study happiness in America. Over the last 10 years, here's a couple of things they found. The highest percentage in any given year in the last 10 years of Americans who responded that they're happy was 35%, only 35%. The 10-year average is 33%. So think about that. 
Over the last 10 years, only one-third of Americans said they were happy, which of course means two-thirds of Americans did not say they were happy. Now, it used to be you could count on the older you get, the happier you become, which makes sense. The older you get, the wiser you get. You know what really matters in life. You're able to just focus in on the majors and you let other stuff just kind of go and it doesn't bother you. You're able to increase your happiness quotient. Your, your joy bucket gets more and more full, but the most recent studies on happiness are showing this is no longer the case. Regardless of generation, everybody has to the, the similar amount of happiness. And I guess this shouldn't be surprising. The pursuit of happiness has always been elusive. It's not just the last 10 years. It's not just in America. But for thousands of years, human beings have struggled to unlock the door to happiness. The wise writer of the book of Ecclesiastes says, I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly, but I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing the wind. Instead of arriving at these answers, I get these agonizing questions, and it doesn't matter what age I am. Am I following my passions? Am I doing what I love? What's the purpose of my life? Am I with the right person? Am I as happy as I should be? More and more people all the time examining their own lives and asking this profound question, am I living it right? So what's the big surprise? You didn't rent this for the weekend, did you? Think bigger. For the week? This place is a perk, Kay. A perk? Mm-hmm. For what? A company called P.K. Lassiter Investment House uses it to attract new executives. I'm going into arbitrage, honey. It turns out I have a knack for it. Jack, what are you talking about? I'll be making twice what I make now, plus a hefty bonus, and that's just a start. And we can live in this apartment practically rent-free until we find a place of our own. Are you out of your mind? I don't think so. This is going to be a better life for all of us. We could put Annie and Josh into private schools. Annie goes to a great school, Jack. I'm talking about the best schools in the country here, Kate. Jack, what could you possibly be thinking about? What about my, what about my job? Well, I mean, this is New York City. It's like the needy people capital of the world. Your Jersey clients aren't a tenth as pathetic as the ones you could find here. <laughs> I, I, I can't even believe you're talking about moving back into the city, Jack. I thought the reason that we left was because we didn't want to raise the kids here. No. No, this is the center of the universe. If I were living in Roman times, I would live in Rome. Where else? And today, America is the Roman Empire. New York is Rome itself. John Lennon. Jack. Listen, okay, okay, you know something? I'm detecting, like, a funky tension here, and this was supposed to be a happy day. So guess what? I don't need this. We don't have to live here. Forget it. I'll commute. I'll drive to work. <gasps> in traffic, Jack, it's over an hour each way. That's like three hours every day. When are you ever going to see the kids? Kate, you're not understanding me. I'm talking about a perfect life, a great life. Everything we pictured when we were young, the whole package. 
You said so yourself. Life has thrown us a few surprises, so we made sacrifices. Well, guess what? Now I can finally get us back on track. I can do that, Kate. I want to do that. I, I need to do that as a man for all of us. Don't go get a new career without even telling me about it. And don't, don't take Annie out of a school that she loves and don't move us out of a house we've become a family in. You're, you're... Don't you see, I'm talking about us finally having a life that other people envy.
Thank you to Kylie and Eli for that song. It, it's a song by John Mayer called Why Georgia. He wrote it when he was 23 years old, uh, getting started in the music industry, living in Atlanta, Georgia, and he's wondering if he's making the right moves in his life. He's wondering if he's having a quarter-life crisis, and he pens these lyrics. Because I wonder sometimes about the outcome of a still verdictless life. Am I living it right? Don't we all wonder about that, whether we're quarter life or midlife or end of life? If, if someone were to take a look at our life and the way we spend our days and, and they were to judge that, what would the verdict be? Am I living it right? How would you answer that question for yourself? All sorts of ways, I suppose, to measure a life. Surely joy would be a part of it. If we had a joy scale on one end of the spectrum, you had the number one, it represents kind of a, a joyless existence. The number 10 representing a joy-filled life. Where would you place yourself on that joy scale? And remember, uh, polls, surveys, research shows only about one-third of Americans say they're happy any given year. I'm guessing even fewer of us would say we're filled with joy. So remember, we're here to celebrate uh, we're here to rejoice this good news, Christ the Savior is born, an event that the angels describe in, in Luke chapter 2, uh, good news that will bring great joy to all people. So if Christmas is about joy, and more biblically accurate, if Christmas is about great joy, and yet most of us would say, maybe we tend to be a little closer to the joyless side than the joy-filled side, can we draw some conclusions? Would it be fair to draw a conclusion that perhaps we are not living life right? So in the rest of our time today, what I'd like to do is look at what does the Bible have to say about living a joy-filled life? If you brought your Bibles with you, open them up to Deuteronomy chapter 16. Nothing says Christmas like the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Am I right? Can I get a name? All right, maybe not. Uh, in this part of the story, God's using Moses to lead the people of Israel from Egypt to the promised land. They have been slaves for 400 years, and all of a sudden, they're set free. So as captives in a foreign land, they, they learned a certain way of living, and now they have an opportunity to start over, to start fresh, to say, how do we really want to live? God gives them the commandments, and Moses gives the commandments to the people, and sometimes we don't particularly like that God has laws and commandments for us. What if we thought of them all as this relational kind of gift that God gives to the people? Here's what it looks like to live together as God's people. 
And it turns out joy is at the heart of what it means to be the people of God. This is Deuteronomy 16. I'll start in verse 13. You must observe the festival of shelters for seven days at the end of the harvest season, after the grain has been threshed and the grapes have been pressed. This festival will be a happy time of celebrating with your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites, foreigners, orphans, and widows from your towns. For seven days you must celebrate. Celebrate this festival to honor the Lord your God at the place he chooses, for it is he who blesses you with bountiful harvests and gives you success in all your work. This festival will be a time of great joy for all. A lot going on there. A couple of things that I want to highlight. First of all, God commands us to be joyful. Here's how verse 14 begins. This festival will be a happy time of celebrating. It's almost like you can imagine a matriarch of a family. Everyone's coming over for um, Christmas, and it's high stress, and, and the grandma says as people are coming in, we're going to have fun today whether you want to or not. It's almost, in the original Hebrew, it literally says, thou shalt rejoice. Thou shalt rejoice. So, I don't know what brought you to worship today. Maybe this is part of your regular rhythm. Maybe you're a hopester. You always worship here. Maybe it's Christmas Eve is a tradition for you. Maybe it's the first time you've been in a church or at worship for a long time. Whatever brought you to worship today, we're glad that you are here. And one of the things we all have in common, it doesn't matter if we're Bible people or not, or Jesus people or not, or church people or not. One of the things we all have in common when we come into a worship service like this, we come with our ideas about who God is. And if you are like most people, one of the ideas you have about God is God is a fun hater. God steals joy. God takes joy, removes joy from our life because God is demanding and bossy. Thou shalt not this, thou shalt not that. So what do we do with a verse like this where God commands us to rejoice? God commands us to be joyful. And it's not just this one verse. In this chapter, Deuteronomy 16, three different times, God commands the people to celebrate a festival. Sometimes the festival lasts an entire week. The commandment of God is take the next seven days and party. What do we do with a God like this? A couple of distinctions I think it's important to make. First of all, God is not commanding us to feel joy. God is commanding us to do something, not feel something. God's commanding us to do the activity of joy. It's always a challenge to talk about joy at Christmas time because I always know there's someone in the room going through their first Christmas following the death of someone they love. I know there are always people in, in the room or maybe not in the room, out in a corner, sitting in a chair, or down, down in the harbor, wishing they were in the room and maybe they're not feeling the joy. And if that's you, if for whatever reason you're not feeling the joy, I think this is good news. God doesn't command you to feel joyful. God commands you to participate in the activities of rejoicing. I think about uh, my life and my family. We have these traditions that uh, we celebrate every year at Christmas time. We always put up the tree on the Saturday after Thanksgiving, you know, after Iowa beats Nebraska. We put up the Christmas tree. We, sorry. Um, we always, we always uh, go looking at Christmas lights and sip hot chocolate when we do that. Uh, we always get together with another family and we have the Elf Stravaganza. And we watch the movie Elf, and we eat all kinds of food loaded with high fructose corn syrup because it has to be as sweet as possible. We try to recite the lines right along with it. We get together with another couple, and the four of us go out, no kids allowed, for a nice fancy dinner. 
if I'm being honest, I don't always feel like doing the things. And if I'm being honest, in the doing of the things, I almost always, almost always start to feel, start to experience the thing. Like the act of rejoicing, the act of celebrating, it starts to fill me with joy. I love giving gifts. Um, I'm not a great gift giver, but I'm getting better every year. This year, one of the gifts I particularly liked, our family, we do Christmas Eve, uh, the morning of uh, Christmas Eve is when we open presents before I'm tired after preaching all day. So we had our Christmas this morning with uh, my six kids and my wife, and uh, we have two cars that fit in the garage. And so I got garage door openers for my wife and for Kylie who sang that song so they could get their uh, cars into the garage very easily. I'm not sure what happened to the last garage door openers. I didn't ask. I just got them new ones. And part of what that gift means is now I have to figure out how to program the remote so that it actually works. I, if you know me, I don't, I'm not really skilled. I can write a sermon, but I can't, you know, do that sort of thing. So I wasn't particularly looking forward to it, but I got my son, Kimball, who's kind of handy that way, and he's reading the directions and telling me what to do, and I'm up on the ladder and pushing the buttons on the garage. And then I said, okay, Kimball, try it. And it worked, and there was much rejoicing, right? <laughs> In the activity of doing these things, you start to feel the thing. Sometimes, sometimes we can just by doing the activity of rejoicing, God starts to fill us with joy. And that's part of the reason why he commands us to celebrate and to make sure we pause and, and do the activity of rejoicing because God loves us and he knows as we do it, it, we'll start to experience his joy. One more thing I want you to notice about this verse, who gets invited your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites, foreigners, orphans, and widows from your towns. Everyone gets invited. Family and friends, absolutely. But also people who are not necessarily part of your inner circle. People who are vulnerable, people who are lacking resources. God says, I want everyone to be invited. What do the angels say to the shepherds in the Christmas story? I bring you good news of great joy for some people, for a handful of people. No for all people. Everyone is invited, and part of the good news of Christmas is that means you are invited. God's inviting you to participate in joy-filled activities so that God can fill you with joy. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes, we can behave our way into belief. We can rejoice our way into feeling joyful. But I gotta say, I think that would be a dangerous way to go through your entire life. Just fake it till you make it, people. You'll be great. See you later. What if, what if we could actually believe there's something better than the right to pursue happiness? What if we could change our idea about who God is? That rather than God being someone who robs joy from our lives, God is the most joy-filled being in the universe, and God brings joy to us. Let's look at this verse I've referenced a couple times. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Again, wherever you are, find it on a screen and let's read it out loud together. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. So, so we live in a part of the world that says it's our job, it believes it's our job to pursue happiness. Christianity actually teaches something significantly different. God brings joy to us. God brings joy to us. Sometime after uh, Christmas, you'll go back to work or you'll go back to school, and people that you haven't seen for several days will ask you, 
And what did Santa bring you this year? And we use this word bring in the context of Christmas. We're almost always talking about a gift. I bring great joy to all people. That's what Christmas is about. This is saying the great joy is God's gift to you. Do you pursue Christmas gifts in your family and with your friends? I mean, maybe you make a Christmas list. Uh, Maybe you drop some hints to the significant gift givers in your life. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Here's what would be great for Christmas this year. But I'm guessing you do not pursue your Christmas gifts. Instead, you just show up whenever it is that you open gifts. And your job is simply to accept the gift. Receive the gift. Same is true for this gift of great joy that God brings to us at Christmas. Now, let let me pause here just as a bit of an aside. I think it's important as we go through this to keep in mind the idea of paradox. Almost everything that we believe as Christians is this mysterious paradox. We believe in one God, right? And we say the one God exists in three unique persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Trinity. God, the Holy Spirit, it's the Trinity. And a skeptic might say to us, I don't get it. Is it one or is it three? And we say, well, by faith, we believe it's the Trinity. It's a paradox. It's mysterious. What about Jesus? Is Jesus human or is Jesus God? 100% of both is what we believe. Paradoxical kind of thing. Is God sovereign or do I have free will? Yes, absolutely. Is God transcendent? Is God so big and so other and so holy that I can never fully understand God? Or is God imminent, nearby, close at hand, that I can be in a relationship with God and talk to God face to face like one would talk to a friend? It's both. Do I pursue God or does God pursue me? Again, this is one of the paradoxes of faith. It's both. But I think in this particular part of the world where we live, where it's individual effort is just rewarded over and over again, our tendency when it comes to faith is to say, it's all about me and my individual effort in pursuing God. And so this year at Christmas, I just want to remind us the joy of Christmas is not something you pursue. It's something you receive. God brings it to you. John, in his gospel, as he's writing about Christmas, he says Jesus came to his own people, and even they rejected him. Some of the older translations say he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. In the next verse, verse 12, John keeps going, and he says, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. So the real secret, the real key is how do we become people who receive this gift of God's joy, great joy for us. Psalm writer has some answers. Forgiveness is a way we receive God's joy. Maybe that would be the gift you could most use this year. Something you did, something you said, something that was done to you that's just caused all kinds of, I don't know, relational harm, devastation, chaos. What if you could actually believe forgiveness is real and it's for you and it's for your situation? Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. We receive joy by obedience to the word of God. And again, you might have to change your idea about who God is for this to be true for you. If you believe God is only this punishing, vengeful, judgmental kind of God, then the idea of obedience to God's commands might not feel very life-giving, joy-giving to you. But if you could believe God has your best interest in mind, God comes to bring you good things, good gifts, 
if you would receive them. Then all of a sudden, obedience to the commandments of the Lord could be something that brings great joy to you. How about simply helping others? Oh, the joys of those who are kind to the poor. It's one of the ways that we receive the joy of the Lord is through helping others. And worship, finally. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him singing with joy. Not just when you feel like it, but as a regular part of your life, as a reminder there's someone bigger than you in this life who loves you and has great things planned for you. God brings joy to us, but part of what the Bible teaches us is the way that joy comes to us is sometimes surprising, unexpected. Christmas is a perfect example of this. Nobody expects God to be born in a humble manger. Nobody expects God to be born of a couple who isn't married yet. Nobody expects that God's going to grow up and die a criminal's death on a cross. All kinds of unexpected ways that God brings joy to us. And as you read about the life of Jesus, you start to see Jesus' joy showing up in all kinds of unexpected ways and unexpected places and turning people's worlds upside down. I don't know if you pay attention to the lyrics of the Christmas carols we sing every year. Joy to the world is our theme this year. The third verse of that includes the lyrics that say, He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And this language of blessing and cursing, in Jesus' day, everybody understood that's just the way the world works. If life is not going the way you want it to be going, everybody knew in Jesus' day, it's because God is cursing you. And if things were going great in your life, everybody knew, everyone believed, that's just the way life works, God is blessing you. And so the rule in Jesus' day, stay as far away as you can from cursed people. Well, Jesus rewrites the rule book. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is on a hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and a crowd of people gathers around him. The crowd is made up predominantly of people who believe the verdict has been cast about their life. They are the cursed ones, because life is not going well for them at all. So they come to hear what Jesus has to say, and when Jesus opens his mouth, he turns their world upside down. Jesus says, you are not cursed. You are blessed. The word Jesus used for blessed is makarios. It comes from two Greek words, one meaning to extend, and the second Greek word is joy. To extend joy. To believe that you are someone blessed by God is to believe God has extended joy to you. And so if we take this passage in Matthew 5 and we replace the word blessed with extends joy to, we start to see God's joy coming in unexpected ways in unexpected places. God extends joy to those who are poor. God extends joy to those who realize their need for him. God extends joy to those who mourn. God extends joy to those who are humble, who hunger and thirst for justice, who are merciful. God extends joy to those who work for peace. God extends joy to those who are persecuted for doing right. The very beginning in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is changing people's ideas about who God is and about how life works. That God brings joy to us in unexpected ways, in unexpected places. The other thing that Jesus is doing here at the beginning of his ministry is reminding us this pursuit for happiness and joy is not an individual pursuit. It is a group activity. The, the book that I referenced at the beginning of the message, America the Anxious, this British woman now living in California, 
trying to figure out what is the key to happiness, reading all the studies, interviewing people, where does happiness come from, what makes people happy, there started to be a consistent pattern that emerged from all of the research. It was a pattern that was a little puzzling to her because it showed there was one group of people who consistently scored happier than anyone else in America. Here's what she writes. This is a finding that holds true across race, gender, social class, and income, and the difference is significant. That group is religious people, people of faith, the happiest people in this country, and the reason might be surprising to you. It has everything to do with connection. Why it's important that we believe in a Trinitarian God is that means we believe in a God who exists in community, a God who exists as an eternal connection, and we're made in the image of God. We're created for community as well. And when we come together as the church, as the body of Christ, this great community, it's amazing the joy that God can bring us as we worship together and serve together and work for justice and peace together, and encourage and support one another together, and find hope and healing together. As we mourn together and as we rejoice together, we experience this gift of great joy, day after day after day. And so it's Christmas Eve, and maybe you are here with your tribe, uh, with your family, with the people you are most closely connected to on this earth. What a gift. What a gift. Don't miss it. Soak it in. Thank God for this life he's created for us. And maybe you're here and you're feeling a little disconnected. Well, I have good news of great joy for you. Christ the Savior is born. And he comes to connect with you over and over again, not just at Christmas, but every day of your life. God can come to you with this great gift of life and hope and peace and joy. It was about 20 years ago that John Grisham wrote a book very different from all of his other books that are like, you know, thrillers around the law. He wrote a book called Skipping Christmas, and a couple years later, they turned it into a movie called Christmas with the Cranks, starring Tim Allen and Jamie Lee Curtis. It's really a story about the gift of connection, connection between a husband and a wife, between parents and children, a connection in a neighborhood, connection in a community. I want you to watch this clip, but watch from a posture of prayer and be asking God as you watch this and as we start moving closer to Silent Night, ask God, what is the gift of connection you need this Christmas? Could I come in for a minute? Thanks. <clears throat> Blair's gonna be staying with us for 10 days, so we're not taking the cruise. And uh, 
Nora and I would like you guys to have it. Flight leaves at 12 noon tomorrow. You gotta be there two hours ahead of time. It's 10 days in the Caribbean, islands and beaches. It works. It's a dream vacation. We can't take it, Luther. It's, it's not right. I didn't purchase the travel insurance. So if you don't take it, the whole package is wasted. I, I'm not sure my doctor would allow it. I, I've got that Lexon deal on a, on a front burner. Oh, Benny said he might stop by tomorrow. Yeah. And, and we, we couldn't leave the cat. This is from us to you. This is a sincere, heartfelt, no-strings-attached Christmas offering to two very selfless people who are, at this moment, having a very difficult time looking for an excuse. Benny did say he might stop by. Face it, Bev. Benny hasn't been home in years. Look, I've got everything right here. I've got airline tickets. I've got cruise passes. I've got a brochure. Uh, what's it cost? If we decide to go, we'd want to reimburse you. This is a simple gift, Walt. No costs, no payback. Don't make it complicated. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. It's a simple gift, church. No cost, no payback to us. Maybe it's time to stop making excuses. Don't make it so complicated.